Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. So the sermon series are, it's words. And uh, to do that, I, I got a couple words, you know, some stories, play on words, if you will. So here you go. Um, what kind of lights did Noah have on his ark? Of course, floodlights. <laughs> and this is my favorite, all right, having to do with words, all right. I got a new thesaurus recently. You know, it's really nothing to write house about. A good joke takes uh, like three minutes to work through the entire place. <laughs> Thesaurus, nothing to write home, write house about. You get it? You get it? It's good, good. Don't text me at two o'clock this afternoon. Oh, I just got that joke. <laughs> that happened literally last year. It's awesome. I love it. All right. So we're talking about words. You know, words have power. Words have power in themselves and words have power when you are uh, communicating or maybe you've been communicated to. Um, you know, I've counseled people, talk to people who are 50, 60, even 70 years old, and they tell me the power of words that were spoken to them all the way back when they were a child. You know, someone told them they were ugly, someone told them they were fat, someone told them they were stupid or they would never succeed in life. And those are, are words that have kept them down for decades and decades. And yet I hear similar things of people, maybe it was a, a teacher, or maybe it was a parent that told them, you know, you're so smart, you can do anything you want, or you're beautiful, or you know, you're, you're a nice, giving, loving person. And those words that were spoken over them years and years, even decades ago, have power even now in their life. And that's the power of words. So when we talk about words, uh, today we're gonna talk about the word hope. We're gonna talk about hope. And the def definition of hope is a feeling or expectation. A feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. So the expectation or desire for something to happen. And I like the second definition. It was a feeling of trust. So hope is a feeling of trust. Hope is a deep belief that everything's going to work out in the end, that it's going to be all right. Now, I believe we have a famine in our culture right now. And the famine in our culture is a famine of hope. A famine is when there is not enough food to feed someone. And I believe in our culture there is a famine of hope because where do you find hope right now in our culture? You aren't going to get it out of the news. You got a portion of your brain called the amygdala and that portion of your brain, it, it thrives on fear. And right now what's happening in our culture is everything is focused because when you get a fear response in your amygdala, what you immediately do is you act. Now, if you can't act to fix it, you act to become more fearful, which makes you want to gather more fearful information. So what our news is actually doing is they're training our brains to go to them to get a buzz of energy in our brains so we will listen to them more and fear more and fear more and fear more and fear more. Therefore, you watch more, you get more of their advertising, but you actually get no answers or no hope. 
That's the way your brain works. I, I'm reading multiple books recently on brain function because I want to understand how our brains work. And the more I understand how our brain works, the more I realize that you, when you become fearful, you literally, when you become fearful, you actually increase your response to fear more in the future. But hope it lights up another portion of your brain that enables you to actually act with logic and benefit to you and the world around you. So what's going on is our culture is training you to be more filled with, uh, with anxiety and depression and fear. The more you're filled with those things, the less likely you are to actually act on anything, but the more you are to consume more fear. So what I'm telling you is that you've got a famine. There is not a free availability of hope in our culture. There is a free ability of fear in our culture. Now, with that being said, where do you find hope? Well, that's why you're here today. Because God, as we'll find out, is the giver of hope. And he wants you to live in hope. So that's why this, this change of anxiety and depression in our culture is the reason the suicide rate skyrocketed last year. Suicide rates literally skyrocketed. You didn't hear about this, but they did. Because when you take hope out of people and you take the sources of hope away, there's a famine of fear and then you behave more fearful and more anxious. And that's what every study in the past year has shown us is that people have become more anxious and more, more depressed and more fearful. God did not design you to live that way. He designed you to live that way for a short time period to get you out of trouble, but not to live that way ongoing. See, what God offers us is hope. And that's what happened the day Jesus rose into Jerusalem on a donkey. I think it's interesting that people cried out in hope for their Savior. Now, their word was Hosanna, and they cried out Hosanna. If you don't know what Hosanna is, it's actually an imperative verb, and it means save us now. Not save us in the future, save us now. It's an imperative verb. And the people, when they were crying out, save us, they were asking God to intervene at that very moment, not later, but right then. And they cried out, Hosanna to Jesus. You see, they had lived under Roman oppression for 100 years, and they clung tenaciously to the hope that God would save them. So we want to look at the hope inspired on Palm Sunday, and that's what this message about is a hope we can have in Christ. And to do that, we're going to read the words that they, they, uh, they said that day from Scripture. And I would ask you to stand in honor of God's Word. Uh, we honor the Scriptures here. We believe that God spoke to us through them. And we believe they are a source of hope and encouragement to us. So let's read these words. And uh, uh, when I get to Hosanna, I'm going to ask you to participate with me. Just shout it out. Shout it out. Hosanna. Y'all can do that. It'll be all right, you know. People next to you already know you're weird. They don't care. All right, they already know you're weird. If, if you don't think they know you're weird, well then, well, anyway, we'll have another discussion later. All right, y'all ready? Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, come on, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. And can we say these last five words together? Y'all ready? Hosanna in the highest. God, yeah, God, would you save us now? Would you send your grace, your mercy, your hope, and your love? And would you save us Right now, would you give us your hope to look to you? In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen. Amen. Before you're seated, why don't you turn to somebody and give them a big smile? Yeah, you can do that with a mask on, but give them a big smile. If you're online, here's your big smile for today. Know that somebody loves you and somebody cares.
So there are two statements that we want to break into today to talk about hope. And the first one is this, that God, by his very nature, is a God of hope. Hope is God's nature. Now, when I started this sermon series on, on words, I, I had a different direction I was going, but as I began to delve into the scriptures, what wound up happening was I found myself finding words in the Bible that literally define the nature of God. So two weeks ago, we talked about how God is by very nature good. So we talked about God is good. His nature is goodness. Even when we don't understand, he is still good. And then we talked last week about how God is a God of truth. And since all truth is God's truth, we do not need to be afraid of any truth. Half truths told by the devil will destroy you, but God is the God of truth. If you need to listen to those messages, you can go online, harvestridge.net. You can listen to those messages to define the character and nature of God. So today we're talking about the character and nature of God is that he is God. His very nature is that of hope. Uh, we find out Romans 15, 13, the apostle Paul wrote a letter to the Romans. He said, may the God of hope, the God of hope. So all hope finds its source in God. So he is the God of hope. May he fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope. So when you get around God and the God of hope steps into your life, he causes you to overflow with hope. Wouldn't it be great if what overflowed out of you at the water cooler wasn't one more gripe or complaint? Come on, wouldn't it be great if people, when they brushed up against you, anybody ever walk anywhere with like a full coffee cup? I mean, it's really, really full. And then you like stub your toe. What happens when you stub your toe with a full coffee cup? Coffee goes everywhere, right? Because when something is full and it overflows, what's in it gets out. Now, what's in you that's getting out on everybody around you? Maybe you've been hanging out the wrong places and what pops out of you in a moment of tension is anxiety or pressure or depression. Wouldn't it be great if what popped out of you instead of pessimism would be hope? Wouldn't it be great if all your coworkers, they liked hanging around you because when you were around them, what overflowed on them would be hope and life? Come on. That we need some of this in our world, right? Even if you don't believe in Jesus, wouldn't you say that it'd be a great thing to have more hope in the world? Yes? All right, I'm gonna tell you today how the Bible says we can have more hope. So since God is the ultimate source of hope, he treats us hopefully. Now, a perfect example of how God is a source of hope is the story Jesus told. It's a parable, and the parable is the story of uh, the prodigal father, as I like to call it. But you probably know it as the prodigal son. But it's really, prodigal means prodigious or overflowing. And, and the prodigal son, they say he was wasteful, but no, the one who was really prodigious was a father. He was overflowing in hope and love for his son. The story goes something like this. There was a dad, he had a son, and the son said to him, dad, I, I wish you were dead. I want all my inheritance now. So the dad gives him the inheritance and hope his son will treat it right, but his son doesn't treat it right. He leaves town, goes away, spends all the money on, on, uh, on prostitutes and drinking and all the stuff that you do when you act like an idiot, right? I'm sure if there was cocaine there, he would have found a way to use that too, all right? If there were a gambling establishment, he would have went in there. Y'all follow me? So he just wastes it all. One day, he uh, has no money to eat, so he's in a pigsty, and he looks at the food being fed to the pigs, and he's like, that looks good. I'm so hungry, even that looks good. And that's what a famine does. A famine causes you to be so hungry, you'll even eat garbage and call it good. 
Remember, we have a famine of hope in our land and we're, we're feeding ourselves with garbage instead of God's hope. So anyway, what's going on? The, the, the son, he, he says, even my dad's slaves are treated better than me. I know what I'll do. I'll go home. So he heads back home and he says, I'll go be a slave for my dad. And as he's walking down the road, it says in the passage, while he was a long way off, while he was a long way off. So what do we know about the father? This spe- the father in this story represents God. What do we know about the father? While the son was a long way off, the dad saw him. Why would the dad see him while he was a long way off? Because the dad was standing at the kitchen table or the the window looking out or at the door. He was looking out saying, I wonder if today is the day my son comes home. He had hope for the kid to come home. And when the kid came home, what did he do? He ran to him, threw his arms around him, embraced him and hoped he would live better in the future. Isn't this how God treats us? Come on. Anybody like me, you've been a total knothead toward God. You said and did dumb stuff. You like said, I don't even believe in you or, or whatever it was that you've said and done toward God. And you treated him and said, I'll go do what I want to do. I'll live the way I want to or whatever my attitude was, which you I'm sure have much better attitudes than me. And I had all those bad attitudes and God, the day that I came to him and said, okay, God, I'm returning to you. He was right there waiting because in hope he believes the best in us, even when we're doing our worst. This is good news that God is a God of hope and he believes the best in you, even while you're doing your worst. Since God is the source of hope, if you need hope, then probably you should get around him. I'm going to say that again because only about half of you got that. If you need hope in your life and God is the source of hope, you should probably hang out with him. Try turning off the TV or the your device and open up your Bible and let God talk to you through the scriptures. Let him, let him stir some hope in your heart. All right. So, you know, if God has the power, the fuller knowledge, the wisdom and the authority to bring everything into a positive that he has planned beforehand, then I think maybe we would want to hear what he has to say about how we get there. Let me tell you how this works. Okay. You know, the Bible's a big book. What are there, 1,100 plus chapters in the Bible? There are literally thousands and thousands of verses in the Bible, right? Okay. My next scripture that we're going to put up on the screen. Can you go ahead and put that next scripture up on the screen? It's from Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. And we have this hope, right? All right, so this is the verse right here. We're going to spend some time on this verse. This is the verse that drove this sermon today. This is the verse that... that Everything's going to circle around, okay? So this morning, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but our worship team and the people running back here, the sound, the lights, and the online stuff, they're here early, early, early in the morning. And they work really, really hard before you get here to bless you when you come through the place. Some of you need to, need to follow them and be a blessing to people as well because just think if you're ever blessed by the sacrifice they make, maybe it's time for you to begin to sacrifice so you can be a blessing to people too. But anyway, they're, they're here early in the morning and we do something after all the practices and everything. We sit down, we do what is called a run through. But before we do a run through, we have a devotion. So this morning I'm sitting right here And Joseph Mitchell is sitting right here, and he's going to share the morning's devotion. And he begins reading this verse. This verse. Out of the thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of verses in the Bible, what verse did he choose to read this morning? This one. I looked over at him and I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Did you read my sermon notes? He said, nope. 
He said, you know, I'm just sort of going through something in my life right now and I'm reading the book of Hebrews in my devotions. And when I read this verse, it really spoke to me that God wants me to have hope. Maybe, maybe you call that a coincidence, but one in a hundred thousand or 25,000 or whatever that is, one in 25,000 verses to pick the same one on the same day. Maybe, just maybe, God did that this morning as a reminder to you and I that he really is a God of hope and he wants to give us hope today. All right, so the second truth we have from this passage is that hope is the anchor for our souls. Now let's talk about anchor for just a second. Do y'all know what an anchor is? There's this boat, boats, they float on water, right? And then they have these things called anchors that drop way down below the water and they grab a hold of the bottom of wherever they're at. And that anchor is there and then it holds that ship or boat from moving along, right? Y'all following this? If you can see an anchor, it doesn't do you any good because the anchor has to be where? Has to be at the bottom, right? Has to be where it's firm to hold on to. Now, I, I, I was on a boat one time. We took a cruise years ago with the kids, and it was years and years ago. It was the perfect day. It was Thanksgiving Day. They took us to this private, private, um, they called it K. It was just like this half moon beach and they had food there for us and the water was perfect and the temperature was great in the Bahamas. It was amazing. And, and we, that boat, since there was no dock or anything, they didn't tie up. What happened is they were out there and they took their anchors and they dropped it off and the boat stayed steady to pick us up at the end of the day. And that's the one time in my life I prayed that anchors wouldn't work. Leave me there, you know, I'll stay there for years. I don't care. But anyway, no, an anchor, an anchor holds a, a boat steady so the winds don't sweep it away or the current or whatever it is. So that's what an anchor is. And, and that's, we need to understand that. So let's read this passage now. It's in Hebrews chapter six, verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. It's what, come on, describe it for me. It's what? Firm and secure. It enters into the sanctuary behind the curtain where a forerunner Jesus had entered on our behalf. Now, let me explain this second part. This enters into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. All right, so ancient Judaism, the Bible grows out of ancient Judaism. and ancient Judaism, uh, they had this temple they worshiped in. And the temple had this outer court out here, way out here where the Gentiles could enter in and they could worship, but only from a distance. And then there was the inner court where the Jewish people that were in good standing with God and did the covenant and circumcision, all that, they could worship. And then there was the temple proper and the temple proper had a big room up front and at the big room in the front of it, they had, you know, some things like a, a, a lamp stand that you could burn, you know, they burned a lamp in there and they had an altar of incense where every day they would go in and offer incense and it was where the worship happened in that space. But then behind that, there was this big curtain that hung between this outer room in the, in the temple and then there was an inner room, the back room, called the Holy of Holies. Now in the Holy of Holies, all that was in there was, there was a, um, um, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was just a gold box. And in the gold box, there was some manna. And in the gold box, there were the uh, stone tablets that Moses got when he came down the mountain. 
And that's all that was there, the, the covenant and God's provision. There was this, and the, the Ark of the Covenant had two angels and the angels would sit on top of it like this and their faces were pointed down at the cover of the box and, and that's what's called the mercy seat. So the mercy seat was this place where um, they said that that's where God's presence visited the people and gave them mercy once a year when the high priest, not any priest, but the high priest once a year would enter from the court of the Gentiles through the court, uh, the outer court into the, the holy place through the curtain, that uh, six inch curtain that divided it into the Holy of Holies and only once a year to put blood on the mercy seat where the angels were watching so that that mercy seat, then God could forgive and give mercy and hope and love to the people. All right. Do y'all sort of follow this? That's the ritual they went through. Well, this verse is making reference to that setup of worship, except what Hebrews teaches us is that Jesus is the high priest who entered into a heavenly sanctuary and went into God's very literal presence, the throne of God, which is where his mercy, his judgment, his grace, his forgiveness, his goodness flows from. It's the very presence of God seated on his throne. And it enters, what it says is that we have a hope that has an anchor, not hidden at the bottom of the sea, but our anchor, our anchor is literally hidden at the very presence of God himself, the giver of mercy, hope, and love. And our anchor of hope is in God's presence, not just behind some veil or in some little room stuck someplace. No, we go into the heavenly one because what he says is this earthly uh, this earthly worship place is simply a shadow of God's heavenly worship space. Are y'all following me here? All right. So what happened is on the day Jesus died, you remember the cross Jesus died? And it says in the book of Matthew, it says that the temple, in the temple, the veil that separated the holy of holies, God's presence that only one man got to see once a year, that separated that presence from all the rest of everybody else. On the day that Jesus died, when he said, it is finished, it says the temple of the veil was torn in two from top to bottom. Not from bottom to top, no man's down there tearing that, that veil apart. Uh, come on, a six inch veil of woven garment was ripped in two from top to bottom. And what God was saying, I'm letting my presence out now. So Jesus secured for us a, an inner sanctuary behind the curtain in heaven. And our hope is not rooted in what the news does or what happens in Washington, D.C. It's not rooted in your bank account or whether your health is good or bad. No, it's rooted, come on, your anchor is in the presence of God. When Jesus ripped open that temple, we get to take our hope straight to the giver of hope, the God of hope. Come on, this is good, right? So your hope isn't down here anywhere. It's all the way up there, but it's hidden because you can't see it. Your hope is hidden. You can't see it. It's anchored. Now, now how, do, how then do we have hope? Well, I'll tell you what we have. We got, we got this thing that connects our hope that we can't see to our life we can see. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse one, this is what it says. Now, faith is the confidence of what we hope for and the assurance of what we cannot see. 
So the assurance of what I cannot see is with God in his presence. And how do I hang on to that? It is by the rope of faith because every single, every single anchor does itself no good at the bottom of the sea if there's nothing attaching it to the boat it's holding. Are you following me? You need a rope, you need a chain, you need something. Am I correct? All right, so what do we have is we have, we have our faith we hold on to and our faith keeps us attached to our hope in God. And by the way, faith is not something that is just out there. Faith, according to that word, that confidence, it's a substance. It is, it is actually, that's a, a real estate term. And our faith is not in just feelings. Our faith is in the confidence that we have that there is a God who loves us, gave his life for us. And the fact is he was resurrected from the dead and we can, we can hang on to that fact and truth. So faith attaches us to our hope that's hid in God's presence. Now, one more thing. If you see what you're hoped for, you don't have hope. Romans chapter eight, verse 24 says, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? Come on, you don't need hope for anything if everything's perfect, am I correct? Right, you don't hope for what you already have, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. I don't know, what are you hoping for? Are you hoping for the salvation of your kids? Hoping for the healing of your body? What are you hoping for? Are you hoping for a, a new job? Are you hoping that actually one day you and your spouse will work through this junk and you'll act like you love each other? What are you hoping for? What are you living for hope? Your hope isn't rooted in your ability to make it happen. Your hope is hidden with God. And the fact that you're still hoping, even though sometimes you feel stupid for still holding out hope, means that you have faith in God and you're putting your hope in him. Come on, the fact that we still hope for a better outcome. Come on, me and my wife, we were going through some stuff this past week. It's been a rough couple of weeks. And there have been a lot of problems that we've been fighting through with here, there, everywhere. I mean, not, not you guys know what I'm talking about. Anybody ever have issues that you got to deal with? And you're like, oh, I got to sell this car on top of all the other things that need to be done, right? Anybody ever been there? All right, so I said to her about one of these situations, I said, I firmly believe that even if it doesn't work out the way I want it to work out, I firmly believe that I serve a God who is able to make good come out of every single circumstance and situation, whether I like it or not. And I believe that him who is able is able to be, do exceedingly abundantly above all I can ask or think. I may be thinking and praying for this big and he may be saying, oh no, I got this much. And I have hope that even when I don't get it right, I may be shooting this tall, but God's wanting this tall. I have that hope and that's the hope that we have even when things we don't understand. Why is it so tough? Why didn't I get this answer to prayer? Why didn't that work out? We have hope as an anchor for our soul. So um, I thought of a perfect way to, to sort of bring this to a conclusion. I'm gonna tell you a story about when I was a kid. I grew up with rednecks. You ain't ever seen red as red as the rednecks I grew up with. Rednecks, they, uh, they're, well, I tell you what, we had a, we had a 16 foot flat bottom boat with a 9.9 .9 horsepower Johnson outboard motor attached to the back. 16 foot flat bottom river boat. You know what that means? Aluminum boat about that wide, 16 foot long. We have four people in my family, my mom, my dad, me and my brother in a 16 foot boat. That's about from here to here. 
four of us. Now, I grew up in the Arkansas River Valley. Right, right in Arcoma, Oklahoma, down the hill was the Arkansas River Valley. Arkansas River Valley, at where I grew up, the Arkansas River is about a half mile wide. Most of the place is about a half mile wide. And um, what happens is, is when it rains in Colorado and Kansas and upper Oklahoma, the, the river would flood where we were. That's why they're called bottoms, is the bottom land is where when the river floods, it all fills up with water. And there were several towns that got washed away numerous times. Matter of fact, Braden ceased to exist as a town because it got washed away so much in the last flood, nobody wanted to rebuild there. So a lot of floods. To control the flooding, the Army Corps of Engineers built a lock and dam system. Do you all know what lock and dams are? All right, so on this river, they would put a dam. They would literally dam up the river. There'd be a lock over here to let ships and um, um, river barges go through and boats go through. But on this side, about a third of the, the width of the river or less, they would put locks. Now, uh, now the, uh, that would be the dam. With, and, and what they'd have is they'd have these um, gates. And they, when it would rain upstream, they would all of a sudden let the, they would open up the gates and let the water flow through. Well, the gates didn't open from the top, they opened from the bottom. So what would happen is the river right below, a half mile wide worth of river pressed into maybe a quarter mile wide of river, 25, 30 feet deep, that water would come out of the bottom and it would swirl back up. Y'all get that? It would come out of the dam, it would swirl back up. So if you were on top, of the river there in a boat, it would take you into the dam. And, and they had a line that said, don't cross this point. If you do, you'll go get sucked into the dam. And every year there was somebody, their engine went out and they would get sucked up to the dam. And every year there'd be some redneck guy at the dam because his boat got sucked up there and got turned over and they drowned. So my parents loved to catfish. I don't know if you've ever eaten catfish but uh, it, yeah, that's what we grew up on. Anyway, my parents would take me out to go fishing at the dam in the middle of the night. One o'clock in the morning. By the way, what, what's not going on at one o'clock in the morning? Light. <laughs> and by the times we would go is when they'd open up the gates and the water was really flowing. The reason they would go then is because that's when the catfish would come sit at the bottom of the dam and eat. And that's when you could catch the big ones. So my parents would take four of us in a 16-foot boat, the water swirling, whirlpools around, it's sucking us back toward the dam, and they'd take us right up to the line. I'm telling you, you could throw your rod and reel, you could just drop your line in the water, and it would suck it all the way back up to the foot of that dam, and you could sit in that boat and you could catch, I, come on, if you never caught a 20-pound catfish on a rod and reel, you've never had fun. I'm telling you. So anyway, we would go out there in the middle of the night, dark, dark as dark could be, sit at the dam with the water swirling all around, sucking us back towards certain death. And my dad had taken a milk jug and he had put some concrete in a milk jug and put a metal down in the top of it and with a loop up top and he'd tie a nylon cord, a hundred pound test cord or whatever it is and, and tie it around and he'd take that milk jug and drop it out in the ground and then tie the rope around the side of our boat. And we would sit there with a milk jug on the bottom of the, the lake, <laughs> bottom of the river, keeping us from certain death while we fished in the middle of the night and couldn't even see if it was working or not.
And it taught me a lesson. It doesn't matter how much the world's swirling around you. It doesn't matter how dark it is outside or how dangerous the waters are. It doesn't matter all the chaos that's going on in your world. It does not matter. If your anchor holds secure, you're safe in the middle of the craziness. Where's your hope? Is your hope in your ability to find an answer or is your hope rooted? Is your hope anchored in the presence of Almighty God, the giver of all hope and life and love? Where's your hope? If your hope's not in Jesus, I wanna invite you today to put your hope in a place that's secure and it's safe and it's firm. And God can and will lift you through all the craziness of the swirling waters of your life and all the darkness that is closing in, he is able to protect you and keep you safe in the middle of it all as you cling to faith in him. Would you bow your heads with me? If you're in this room today, you're sitting here, maybe you're watching online, you've never made that confession of faith and hope in Jesus Christ. Today is your day to put your hope in him. Today is your day. Come on, today is the day that you say, yes, Jesus, I wanna put my hope in you. I'll put my hope and trust in you by faith right now. I'm gonna lift my hand as an act of saying, I believe in you, receive me. If that's you, lift your hand right now. Jesus will give you hope. He will give you life. He will give you a renewed you. Yes, around this room, there are hands all over the place. Today is your day. Today is your day. Nobody prays alone. Everybody prays together right now. Everybody together. Dear Jesus, I put my hope in you. I give you my life. No reservations, no holding back. You have it all. Give me your hope. Give me your purpose. Give me your life. I receive it now in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that and you meant it, guess what? God just took you up on your word. You are new. You have his hope. Man, hey, here's what we're going to do to end this, all right? If you were watching online, you made that confession of faith. Why don't you text BELIEVE to the number on the screen and somebody will get in touch with you and pray with you about just to say, God bless you and welcome to the kingdom. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing a song. When we sing this song, if you've got kids, go in option number one or option number two. Let's go with number one. Two? Let's go with one. Let's go with one. Man, I, I, I've got so much I could give you on this. I, I'll just tell you this, uh, the verse that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19. And 1 Corinthians 15, 19 says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. The wonderful truth of what's about to happen this week and next Sunday is that our hope is not just for today. Oh, I, I believe that God can work today. I believe that he's doing things today and now. And I know he's working miracles. Come on, I can tell you some things I know. But if all I have is hope on this earth, man, I'm telling you, I've made way too many sacrifices. Aren't you glad we have hope that is eternal? And this hope does not disappoint. I have a hope of heaven for all eternity to come. Come on, what good news. 
I'm going to give you number two, too. I got one more minute. Hey, back the truck up. I'll just give it to you, right? One more. It's in Hosea chapter two. It says, therefore, I am now going to allure her. This is Hosea. God speaking to a people that are in a, they're in a rough place. And he says, I'm going to allure her. And where's he, notice the phrase allure. He's going to draw her in. Where's he going to draw her to? Into the wilderness, into the desert places, into the difficult times in your life. You think the problems in the world led you into this difficult place. No, 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 no. God allured you into this difficult place you're in. Come on, this could preach right here, a whole sermon. God's going to allure you into the wilderness so he can do some things. You know what he wants to do there? He wants to speak to you. Come on, what's he going to speak? He's going to speak his hope. He's going to speak his life and his goodness. He wants to speak tenderly to you. And notice what he do. There he'll give you back. He's going to give back what the devil's taken away. Isn't that a promise in the Bible? God's going to give us back what the devil's taken away. And he will make the valley of Acre. And the valley of Acre, that's where, come on. Do y'all know what that is? That's the place where, where. Um, let me see, who is the guy after Jericho that they killed him and all the people died and the earth swallowed him because Israel lost a battle. It was the only battle they lost, Achan. When Achan... So the Valley of Acre is a place of loss and a place of punishment and a place where things don't go right. And notice what it says about the place, even where bad things happen. It will become a what? Come on, say it with me. It'll be a door of hope. Is this worth staying your extra five minutes for? I hope so. I want to encourage you today that God himself has hope for us worth having. And if you're in a rough place today, you need to go to God and let him speak tenderly to you through the scriptures. Let him talk to you. Let him give you your, your hope and let him restore the things Satan would destroy and take away in your life. Father, we serve the God of hope. And right now, there are those of us in this room, we feel like we've been in a desert and we feel like the devil has tried to take away all the goodness and we've been under attack and it's a desert, but God, it was you that led us there because you wanna to talk to us, your words of hope, your words of strength, your words of encouragement, and you wanna give us not only what was taken away, you wanna give us more and you wanna give us a door of hope for our future. In the name of Jesus, we pray it, that you would do it right now. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.